Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Current Yield. This is a Grant's interest rate observer of the air, and uh, I guess on the wires, too. I have no idea how this is getting to you, but uh, maybe uh, by fax machine. But Eric Whitehead is the control panel and seeing all that uh, technical stuff. Uh, with us today is uh, Evan Lorenz, the great uh, deputy editor of Grant's, and Phil Grant, who uh, produces our almost daily Grant's, which you must read. I think that's, uh, take that as a suggestion. And uh, our special guest is Jim Bianco, who is the, know, like the chief cook and bottle washer Bianco Research LLC, which is situated in Chicago and uh, which turned uh, 21 this year. So uh, can the firm drink, Jim? Yes, the firm can drink. We can afford it. Okay. Um, well, Jim, it is a pleasure to have you. I mean, we uh, I, can, I can give away this, this secret. We are taping this on uh, Thursday, the 1st of August. And uh, I have been, personally, I have been uh, driving upstate New York most of the afternoon to uh, occupy my summer typing quarters. Uh, but when I was on the road, apparently strange things happened. Jim, could you, by way of uh, preface to this discussion about the, uh, uh, the intricacies and the consequences of modern monetary policy, could you tell us what has happened today? I, I have really, I'm rather clueless. Uh, about midday, President Trump came out and tweeted, that's how he does it, that effective September 1st, he's going to impose a 10% tariff on the $300 billion of Chinese goods that are currently not subject to tariffs. Now, this includes things like iPhones and laptops and iPads and stuff that people can recognize, use, and love. The other $250 billion of tariffs that have been previously announced have been on more business-related products that the average consumer doesn't understand. This set of ones, they do. The stock market was up nearly 250 points dial-wise when the announcement came, and it is now down 250 points. And the 10-year yield is now under 190 for the first time since President Trump has been elected. So it's been quite a move in yeah. the stock and bond markets today. I should say, well, Bianco uh, is not merely, ladies and gentlemen, an authority on all things fixed income and many things not fixed income. He's also a contender for uh, a spot in the Federal Reserve Board. Now, Jim, so you speak with uh, a certain amount of authority in these questions. And I, I want your, and Evan and Phil and Eric Whitehead would like your uh, unguarded, as if you were not being considered for high office, we want your spontaneous, unguarded critique uh, Chairman Jay Powell's press conference yesterday. What did he say? How did he say it? And how would you, when you were appointed chairman, you know, behind his back, how will you do better? Huh? Well, I was considered, and the spots are now taken. So I guess I'm free to say that he did not do a very good job yes, in what he was uh, attempting to do. And I think it starts with the very basic. Jay, why did you cut rates yesterday? What was the rationale? Well, he mumbled some stuff about uncertainty as if, you know, in the financial markets, there's never an uncertainty in the markets. And he mumbled something about low inflation, which has been the case for about 20 years, and about uh, global weakness, which has been the case for about five years. In other words, he did not make the case for why he wanted to cut rates, leaving some to believe that he's been put upon him by the market. And I think that that's correct. It was put upon him by the market. And then he also came out and he talked about that this might be a mid-cycle move, meaning that, oh, we'll give the market one just to make the petulant child happy, and then we'll go right about trying to raise rates up. And the market didn't like that noise, and it's now you know down almost 20 basis points in yield, like I said before, under 190 on the 10-year note. 
So he failed to explain why he was doing it. Everybody knows why he did it, because the market asked him to do it. Yeah. And he, he hasn't really... When you were raising your kids, did you ever read a, a book called uh, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie, He'll Want a Glass of Milk? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Phil, so could you, could you uh, help us with the narrative? Yes, yeah, so uh, I believe it's uh, related to, um, I guess you should say, small... Uh, rodents uh, wanting yeah. more uh, in, in the face of generosity than they might have wanted otherwise. Right, so it's an in, insatiable demand, right? So, That's right. Okay, so I've given him a cookie that he'll want like a cracker and a napkin, and he'll want to get his whiskers trimmed with a pair of nails. This is because, after all, he's been sought, uh, soaked in milk. So, okay, so as uh, Evan and Phil have pointed out to me, not knowing much because of my travel plan, travel today, um, the uh, the chairman's uh, protest that this was a mid-cycle correction seemed to have gone for naught because the market is imputing a chance very close to 100% for additional rate cuts and soon, no? That's correct. And a lot of that came. Well, it worked for a while. A lot of it, the, the, the market was imputing a September rate cut at a little above 60%. But since the trade announcement, it's now shot up well over 90%. So, you know, whatever his best laid plans were yesterday, they're not the plans that the market has today. Uh, SendPro online for Pitney Bowes is not a hubristic product uh, through which you can send packages and mail without uh, leaving your office. Uh, just right from your desk for as low as $4.99 a month. And for being a grants listener, you'll receive a free 30-day trial to get started. As an added bonus, you'll also receive a free 10-pound scale shipped right to your door to help you accurately weigh your packages. So save time, money, no matter what you send, from packages to overnights and letters, just click send and save with this new offer from SendPro Online. So with the aforementioned $4.99 a month, you can uh, print shipping labels, stamps, your own printer, easily compare rates using the online software that you will receive. Gain access to special USPS savings for letters and priority mail shipping. Plus, track all of your shipments and get email notifications when they have arrived. So go to pb.com slash grantspod to access this special offer and get a free 30-day trial plus a free 10-pound scale to get started. That's pb.com slash grantspod. Experience the better way to ship with a free trial of SendPro online from Pitney Bowes. Thank you, Pitty Post. Uh, Jim, uh, one thing that surprised me is if you look at the yield curve, and what we're looking at is usually the 10-year minus the three-year, uh, three-month treasuries. It was inverted before the Fed made the cut yesterday, but it became even more inverted today. The an inversion often indicates that um, the economy is going to go into a soft patch or potentially even a recession. And you've done work showing that when the yield curve is inverted for 10 or more consecutive trading days, it over the last 50 years has led to a recession on average uh, 311 days later. What is the yield curve telling you today, and and why didn't it actually kind of you know go back into positive territory? after the Fed cut short rates. Yeah, uh, two things. Let me talk about the yield curve. Uh, yeah, you're right. The yield, a lot of people like to say that the yield curve is a good predictor of recessions, but I want to qualify that and say, no, it's actually the cause of a recession. An inverted yield curve is simply a signal from the market that says rates at the short end, the ones that the Federal Reserve set, is too high. That's what the market has been telling us with the inverted curve. It wants the Fed to lower those rates. Now, why does it want the market to lower those rates? I think it's a market thing. There's $54 trillion worth of sovereign debt in the world. A lot of people like to point out $14 trillion of it's negative, but let me go to the other side of the equation. All of the 
highest yielding of that 54 is in the United States. The funds rate, the funds rate is one of the highest yielding instruments in the developed world right now, even still that it's a two to two and a quarter. was definitely yesterday when it was two and a quarter to two and a half. The U.S. economy is not an extreme outlier in terms of having the highest inflation or the highest growth rate, but it has far and away the highest interest rate. So I think what the market has been saying is our rates are out of line. Rates are a relative thing. I get this pushback all the time. I remember 1981. I remember 15%. How can two be too high? Because it's relative to everything else, a quarter of which is negative right now. That's why the market wanted it to pull, but wants, wants these rates to come down. The yield curve is a manifestation of that. It had priced in a 100% chance of a 25 basis point move. It got it. It had no reason to move because it got exactly what it expected. And I've been arguing that the Fed needs to be aggressive enough to cut rates until the yield curve steepens, and then they can stop. And I thought 50 basis points yesterday would be enough to do it. Well, they didn't do that. They said mid-cycle correction, and now the market is somewhat worried that the Fed is not going to be fast enough in trying to bring those relatively high rates down. That's where I think the market has been. The Fed can't articulate that or maybe doesn't understand it, which is why, you know, nominally everybody's left with, what did they see? Why did they cut rates? Well, I think the reason they cut them is because the market wanted it, and that's why the market wants it. It sees a two-handle in the United States, and nowhere else in the developed world does it see a two-handle on interest rates, and it says that's too high relative to everywhere else. Jim, to what, to what degree is this because of uh, the Fed or the, or the U.S. Treasury? And the reason I ask that is um, U.S. deficits are rising, and they're going to be almost a trillion this year. And in the Treasury's latest uh, estimate for uh, borrowing this quarter, they raised it substantially, uh, I think almost doubled it to over $400 billion. And as the Treasury is just printing money, uh, not printing money, but um, borrowing from the market, the last couple auctions have been a little bit sloppy, and uh, Treasuries have actually traded up um, afterwards. Is this an issue of just too much paper that's being put into the market as well? That is an issue worldwide, too much paper that's being put into the market right now. Uh, as far as the U.S. goes, yeah, I think that that is part of the issue because one of the things that we don't have, I think, is QE. We have not, or we've been tapering it now, effective today, it's over. So we have not had the situation where the Fed has been an aggressive buyer of it. We've got big deficits, even though everybody thinks they don't matter. I think at some level they still do matter, and that that's been keeping our rates up. But let me be clear on this. We should be above average in our, in our interest rates. But should we singularly be the standout high rate on the planet among developed countries. That's where I think the market was saying, no, aim that with the December rate hike. So this is a fairly new thing. And I've looked back 50 years and I've asked the question, when was the last time the U.S. was the single highest interest rate? And the answer is just in the last six months. It has not happened at any time since the late 1960s that I could at least find that we were across the board, the highest rate among developed countries, not even in 1981 when we were at 15%. There's a bunch of countries that were in the 18 to 20 percent range at that time, too. This, kind of, this is, as the journal said this, this morning, or at least it intimated this morning, this is, it's kind of a race to the bottom, no? I mean, you're saying that we're the relatively uh, highest rate in the world, true. But is that because uh, we are in error or because Mario Draghi and his counterpart in Japan are just doing the craziest things you ever dreamt of? Oh, I think it's definitely because of Draghi and because of Japan. Unfortunately, in a globally connected world that we are in, in the developed world, you know, if you run a company 
in the United States, a global company in the United States, and you're looking to lower your borrowing costs, you can borrow in any one of these countries. You can go borrow in Japan. You can go borrow in Europe. You can borrow in the United States. Uh, and so you will seek to find it. And so what I'm trying to say is, yeah, Draghi and Kuroda, ECB and the Bank of Japan, are doing, I think, insane policies with, with negative interest rates. And it's forcing us to have to adjust to that. And that's what the market's trying to say. It would be nice to be able to say that only thing that matters is absolute level of interest rates, meaning whatever is appropriate for the U.S. is appropriate for the U.S. And it doesn't matter where everybody else is going. But in reality, it does. And they are the ones that are forcing this issue on everybody. So, so if, if you were giving a speech yesterday or making a comment in the press conference, would you have said, would have been politic for the chairman of the Fed to say, we are cutting rates because we are an outlier. Our rates are, in fact, suitable for this economy and certainly for these financial markets and maybe especially certainly for the over-leveraged and over-sexed leveraged end of the credit markets. But we are in a world of central banking mania. And we must match. We must be as evidently reckless as are our friends Japan and Europe. That would be the essential message, Neil. That would be somewhat of the message. Unfortunately, we are tied to what they do. We would like to say that we would be an outlier, but it would create all kind of stresses in our marketplace, which is what we saw last December with the rate hike, which is what I think we're seeing now. But unfortunately, we have to do that. And yeah, if you gave that speech, and I would, in regards to Mr. Draghi and Mr. Kuroda, your policies are all wrong. That negative interest rates, which is a subject that I'm very passionate about, that it is, I can't express enough what a disaster that is going to turn out to be, uh, is, is wrong. And you've got to come back up so that we can stay at the right rate. Otherwise, you're going to force everybody into this bad place, not just yourself. So there's, a, there's a line of argument on Wall Street that says there's kind of a, a quicksand or, a, I guess, somebody said a tractor beam. There's inevitability. It's almost a, a physical magnetic pull to zero and below. And the United States can't escape it. And we are destined for a 0% 10-year yield. Do you buy that? I, I fear it. I fear that that's exactly where we're going to go. Uh, do I buy it? No, I would sell it. Every time anybody puts together any kind of scheme, there's always a set of assumptions. Some of them are so basic, you don't have to say them out loud. For the last several hundred years, we've put together a financial scheme with fractional reserve banking and with security settlement and with funds like money market funds under an assumption so basic we haven't had to mention it. That is positive rates. All of that stuff works in a positive rate environment. It does not work in a negative rate environment. The only reason the European and the Japanese banks are still afloat, although the Japanese bank stock index is at a 40-year low right now, 40-year low, is that they've got the outlet, the pressure release of positive rates in the United States, the UK, Canada, New Zealand, and Australia. Interestingly, all the English-speaking countries. If we then succumb to this lunacy and go negative with everybody else, I don't think the financial system can handle it. You know, when they put together the financial system, Jim, when you wrote your books about the history of finance, do you think anybody in the room said, hey, let's put together this fractional banking system? What happens if rates go negative? It was never contemplated that such a thing could happen. And I don't think that the financial system we have can handle it. The only reason it's surviving now is it's got these uh, big outlets of the United States, Canada, and the U.K. as the place to find positive rates. And if they lose that, I think it's going to have to change everything. Well, if, Pit if Pitney Bowes had anything to say about with its fabulous SendPro mailing system, I can assure you that rates will be positive worldwide.
Uh, Evan, you have a, go ahead. Why don't you ask your next question? Yeah, Jim, I'd like to ask you a, a question, but by preface, I'd like to read a headline from a Bloomberg story that I saw this morning. And this headline is, Negative Yield World Lures Central Bankers to Canada Muni Market. Now, I have to imagine that that's a little bit unusual. We also saw yesterday a bipartisan bill get presented on the Senate floor to actually impose, what is it, uh, taxes on foreign direct investment in the U.S. in order to try to drive the dollar lower. The idea being countries like uh, China accumulated their vast forex reserve to drive down the value of the renminbi against the dollar, and that's hurt U.S. manufacturers. Now we want to tax purchases of like treasuries by, say, Japanese banks or by um, by the China uh, Safe Organization. Since 1971, we've had a massive opening up of uh, global finance and um, international capital flows. Given this race to the bottom and the fact there's no real way to fight it, do you see more moves like this to kind of restrict the capital count and kind of wall off, uh, I guess, the bond market in the U.S. versus the bond market in Europe versus the bond market in Japan? Oh, absolutely. And I'll, I'll go, you, you know, since you're quoting me Bloomberg headlines you still today, I'll quote your Washington Post story that I saw yesterday. Senator Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin and Josh Hawley, who's a Republican from Missouri, have introduced legislation to change the Fed's mandate that they want the Fed to mandate that they bring the current account deficit back zero within five years. It would be their third official mandate, along with stable prices and promoting full employment. And they would impose a market right. access charge in all foreign purchases of stocks and bonds and property in order to achieve that. Now, I don't think this is going to happen. And I don't think a lot of these other things are going to happen yet. But I fear it's kind of like MMT, modern monetary theory. These are all bad ideas that we can all agree on that are bad ideas and then have to say, boy, we're still we're moving down the road getting ever and ever closer to actually having these things happen uh, as well, too. And it, it is partly, partially, I think, because of the loss of credibility among the central banks that we're now getting uh, politicians emboldened about giving them these kind of mandates and putting these kind of rules in charge because they think that this is the way that the world is going to work. You know, uh, fortunately, like I said, we could kind of look at this and go, interesting, but it's not going to come to pass. But I think as the pressure builds over time, especially if we have a recession, and we start stirring the animal spirits of people being unhappy, we could be right back into thinking that these things might happen. Hey, uh, Jim, what do you do with money these days? How do you invest? <laughs> yeah, very carefully, I think, right now in terms of investing. Uh, I have tended to look at the markets a bit of on a short-term basis and that I've been bullish on the bond market and thinking that it would go down and I've got some capital appreciation working in my favor on the long end of the Treasury market as well, too. And I've been looking at the easy Fed policy thinking that that the stock market would move higher this year, which it has. But I'm kind of coming to the conclusion that I'm probably, I hate to use the phrase, but I'm probably in the late inning of that play, if not the ninth inning of that play. And what comes next, I guess, really needs to be some clarity. Uh, earnings are not happening. We're at less than 1% earnings growth. And we've got the Fed that is grudgingly trying to cut rates. Which way are they going to go with this before I try and figure out the next move? But i got to be honest with you, I'm kind of bit at a loss right now as to what my next move was going to be. I knew what it was two or three or four months ago. I'm not sure what it is right now. You know, so much of, uh, of the world's collective approach to investing has to do with the underlying confidence and, and the competence of the people who run the central banks. And um, is that, you mentioned that was being kind of diminished. What happens if people lose confidence in the judgment and the techniques of uh, what's called modern central banking, post-crisis P2 
PhD standard. What happens then? Well, then, you know, you're right. If they lose confidence in it, then they're going to have to wake up and say, if it happens, let's say, first of all, if it happens, it's going to happen out of Japan and out of Europe first, because I think that they're in far worse shape than us, and especially Europe, because let me mince no words about it. Mario Draghi leaves on Halloween, same date as Brexit, and he's going to be replaced by a political animal in Christine Lagarde. Christine Lagarde is perfectly qualified to be the head of the ECB, but she's a politician. She's not really an economist or central banker by state. And she is also, by her own volition, not even having to protect the central bank, she has come out aggressively in favor of negative interest rates. She genuinely thinks that they're a good idea as well, too. And I think that once people start to realize that the central banks don't have the power, don't have the credibility that they think, then you look at what have we wrought in Japan and in Europe with negative rates. And how does that work with a fractional banking system? And it doesn't. You know, when a bank is a fractional bank, put $100 in the bank, they put 10 in the reserve account, roughly speaking, they loan out the other 90. The assumption that's been there since they invented that was you're loaning it out at a positive interest rate. If you're loaning it out at a negative interest rate and losing money on it, you're leveraging yourself to negative interest rates, which ultimately is a disaster if it continues or it grows. If people start to realize that these central bankers have left us in a bad place, negative interest rates, and don't have credibility, it's going to be very, very worrisome. We've seen this from a number of European banks. The head of Credit Agriculture today on Bloomberg was out and trying to say in very nice language that negative interest rates are killing them. They're absolutely getting destroyed by them, and they're looking for relief in any way they can. And the, the, the relief is positive interest rate, but Mario Draghi set to kind of cut them further negative and offering some idea about the central bank will look at mitigation. I have no idea what that is, and I think Mario Draghi has no idea what that is either. So they've put themselves in a very bad place, and the only reason it hasn't been worse is there's still this clean belief that they know what they're doing. And, I'm the, and that will be eroded, especially when we get a politician to be running the ECB. What was it like being interviewed to join Donald Trump's Fed? Uh, it was an interesting interview. I interviewed with Larry Kudlow. I know, I've known Larry forever and ever. It was in the West Wing of the White House. We talked about what it would mean to be on the Fed, what I would do on the Fed. Now, obviously, they didn't pick me. I was also happy to hear that Scott Minard has come out and said that they interviewed him. The reason I say I'm happy about that is they're looking at non-traditional candidate in terms of him and me and probably some others that we haven't heard about. And I hope that they continue to think that way as they move forward from here, because the group think and the way that the Fed operates definitely needs to be shook up. And whether it was me or somebody else, I'm just glad that they started thinking that way. And I hope it's going to be Judy Shelton. I thought she was a fine pick for the one that they took right now. Jim, uh, I noticed uh, to that point, I noticed that um, there was there was a pair of uh, dissents in, in yesterday's decision. Uh, I, I believe um, both of them wanted to keep rates uh, uh, unchanged. What, what did you make of that? Yeah, the fear of cutting rates brings about two potential consequences. One of them is somehow we're going to increase inflation expectations or that inflation is going to return. I don't think that that's a realistic worry right now, that cutting rates 25 or 50 basis points is going to spark some kind of inflation when we haven't been able to spark it for 25 years. The other concern is, which is what Esther George was more concerned about, is that it will spawn a bubble. I think that is a legit concern. I'm not saying it won't be a bubble, but that is a legit concern. But, you know, the Fed, the problem with the Fed, again, with their thinking with all the economic PhDs there, they forgot that the Fed is a regulator. For one, the Fed has, you know, Reg T. They set margin requirements for stocks in the United States, although they haven't changed it in 46 years. 
If they're worried about a bubble, and I think that that is a concern, they've got other tools that they can deal with it in addition to just the funds rate. You know, if the bad policies of uh, Japan and Europe are forcing our rates down, which I think it is because that's the world we live in, they should be hand-strung that what if we create a bubble? They have other tools that they can address this with. But the PhDs always like to say, oh, those tools are not effective. You know, and, uh, yes, they are. Try them. Try, try moving uh, Reg T for the first time in half a century and see if that actually has some type of effect on dulling the speculative excesses in the stock market. But they don't even attempt it. So I think that that's what their concerns were. I don't think the inflation concern is legit. I think the bubble concern is legit. They've got other rule, other tools to use with it. And even if they can't use the other tools, if it does seem to spark a bubble, they could try and pull it back by raising rates at a later time. No, but they, they don't think that way. We're, we're fond of observing around here that whereas President Trump evidently cannot fire Jerome Powell, uh, Chair Powell could himself fire President Trump. Now, yeah. if you were running the Fed, hey, wouldn't you, <laughs> it's kind of a crazy idea, but wouldn't you be tempted, more than tempted, to give Trump a little something back again? For example, if he tweets out, you're an idiot, you give him 25 basis points to the upside. And if he does it again, you give him 50. Pretty soon you got yourself a 35 4% funds rate, you got yourself a depression, and he's out of office. You'd do that in a heartbeat, wouldn't you? <laughs> You know, there, there is that worry, and not only is there that worry, but let me turn the question around on you, that I think this is, is as legitimate, if not more. Let's say that as the months progress into 2020, it becomes apparent that Donald Trump is going to win re-election. Everybody at the Fed is going to look at Jay Powell and say, you're dead man walking. And then they're going to say, boy, I could maybe become the next Fed chairman. And your name is Neil Kashkari or Jim Bullard, or your name is Judy Shelton, or your name is Chris Waller or something. And then you start to ingratiate yourself to a president that loves negative rates. Why does he love negative rates? The guy has spent a career borrowing lots of money to build bankrupt casinos. So, of course, he's going to think that if the bank is going to give him money to build another casino the world doesn't need and, and pay him, it's a great idea. They're going to chase rates down to zero. So I don't worry that Paul is going to raise rates on him. In spite, I'm worried that they're going to start to look at him as a dead man, and everybody's going to then become the, the race to zero at the Fed to try and get Paul's uh, pick over Paul's bones to become the next Fed chairman. Well, it'll be fun reading the speeches. Uh, it's like uh, it's like uh, Larry Fink coming out and saying, "Yeah, the ECB ought to buy stocks." That was on July 19th, and then July 22nd, Rick Reader comes out. Writing in the NFT, ECB ought to buy a stock. So these ideas. You mean that the largest asset manager in the world, yeah. which owns more European stocks than anybody else in the world, thinks they should print money and buy their portfolio? You're not saying he's well, talking his book, are you? I'm sorry? You're not saying he's well, talking his book, are you? Yeah, no, he would never talk his book, would he? They're just looking out for everyone else. Right. It's called financial statesmanship. So, um, exactly. So, uh, Jim, we have gone, I don't know, more than 30 minutes, a very pleasant 30 minutes of that, a fast moving 30 minutes without once having uttered the word goals. I know that you didn't mention it in your portfolio. Uh, so uh, what do you think? I, I do own some gold, and the reason that I didn't mention it is that it has been there for decades, and it, it, it will stay there for decades as well, too. Gold is the anti-financial uh, system. It's not inflation. It's when you have fears that there is problems in the financial system. Gold seems to be a place that you would go to, and gold now has some competition in cryptocurrencies, it seems like, too, because they seem to move somewhat together. I think that as we move through this system, if we start to see more negative rates, if we start to see the Fed not just talking about cutting positive rates, 
if we're talking about the Fed maybe going to zero or beyond, I think a winner will be gold. It, it's, you know, it's not a perfect way to get your money out of the financial system, but it's one of the closest that we have. Um, save cryptocurrencies, which is another possible way to get your money out of the financial system, but that's still in its infancy and still has some problems. Yeah, they can get their, your cryptos out of your lockbox, too. Anyway, uh, Jim Bianco, thank you for being with us, and thank you for not joining the Fed. Your clients are grateful, too. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being with us. This is Jim Grant on behalf of Current Yield, Grant's interest rate observer of the air. 